Father asked me to talk tonight about what I think the state of things are. It's really bad, just in case you know. But uh, I want to talk about um, the bad, but then also to provide some, as Father said, confidence and hope, because there is actually um, coming up on the horizon. One of the things that I've been watching, because um, in addition to doing exorcism work, I also actually do a fair amount of writing, and so just kind of keeping a pulse on the culture and even on the state of the church as to what its kind of state is, is one of those things where I, I just watch it, just to watch for patterns and things of this sort. I was telling Father, we did uh, a podcast last night, which will be out tomorrow, but we we were talking about the six stages of modernism because originally when I wrote about modernism I said there were five stages and that was actually taught to me by um, a, a teacher of mine called Monsignor Eugene Cavan who was actually, if you know anything about the history of Catholic University of America, he was the one that was fighting Charles Curran over the whole contraception thing in the 60s. That was who he was. But he was talking about modernism and he parsed it out into five distinct stages, which I'm not going to go into all of them. You can read them. I have an article called Operative Points of View. It's in there. But I told Father, I said, I think we've entered into a sixth stage. The fifth stage is what we call the superficial stage. It's the stage where basically all the intellectual gas of the modernist heresy and the philosophical, um, all the philosophical conclusions have been drawn and so there's really nothing more. And of course, by the time you get to the uh, late 60s, there were writers such as Gerlagou Lagrange and um, the uh, Cornelio Fabro, who's one of my favorites, he, they had completely destroyed the intellectual underpinnings of modernism. But of course, the modernists had already gained ascendancy in the church and they were pretty much running everything by this time. And so as a result, there was simply not, uh, they just weren't heard. So, but we now, we've been living in this stage for about 50 or 60 years where it's a superficial stage. The things that people say are extraordinarily daft. I mean, you'll, you, get on, you get on the social media and Catholics, you'll just type in, there's three persons in the Trinity and you get back, no, there's four. Like, you know, I, I can't help you, right? <laughs> when, you're, when you're saying obvious things that have been taught by the church for its entire history and you're getting people who claim to be good knowledgeable Catholics contradicting you, that's a serious problem. It's a sign that people's theological, and you can just see this even in their reasoning process, is extraordinarily shallow. Part of that is because it's based on the principle of eminence, which is the standard for truth is transposed from outside objective reality to the interior, and once that happens, it just becomes our emotions that determine our patterns of thinking. It's called the effect of original sin of concupiscence. It's just what's going to happen. If you, if, if you honestly think that what constitutes truth is what you think it is, well, then it's just going to degenerate into feelings. This is where we're at in our culture. You can't offend anybody. You can't say anything. If you do anything, you know, if you're not woke, then there's a big problem. Okay. And this is a problem both outside the church and inside the church. And I want to, so this, this problem of superficiality, though, is something that we even saw even in our own government. We've been seeing it in our own government for the last 40 or 50 years, where the policies and the things that are being made are, don't have any depth of thought whatsoever. In fact, what they are is they're just basically pandering to certain things, um, and actually a lot of them are just 
evil, frankly, in the end. But now, after the superficial stage, both in modernism and even in our culture, what we're starting to see now is you enter into the draconian phase. That's phase six of modernism. We're in the draconian phase, and the draconian phase is when the people who are in charge, who are basically modernist heretics, are going to ram down your throat their belief system rather than authentic Catholicism. I tell people part of the way we know this to be the case is in the church, we have this gargantuan elephant sitting in the room. Gargantuan. It's pink, by the way, but it's gargantuan. And yet we're not permitted to talk about it. Don't even, don't even mention the fact that it's pink. Just don't talk about the, that. What is this thing that I'm talking about? Where we're entering into a stage where people put the blinders on and they, they, they don't even want to deal with reality. Where people are just completely disconnected from reality. And one of the ways that we actually know this is there is a book called The Index of Leading Catholic Indicators. If you haven't read it and you want to be depressed, go ahead and read it. <laughs> But basically, it's a bit dated, but it basically shows that by uh, the late 1990s and early aughts, that the, the church had declined in every single measurable metric except conversions in Africa. God bless the Africans, right? But the fact is, is that it had declined in every single measurable way. Every way except for that. And yet we're told this is the new springtime. Things have never been better. And the minute you start pointing out, hey, I think we have a problem, what do they do? They cancel you. You can't draw attention to the fact, and this is part of the draconian phase where there's kind of this tyranny of fear that if you say anything, you're going to get yourself in trouble. In fact, I'm still flabbergasted that I actually gave a conference up in New Hampshire where I talked about transgenderism. And I actually talked about uh, the LBG and all the homosexuality and all the things that are part and parcel of our culture right now and how every single one of them is against the natural law. To my knowledge, there's only been one bishop who has said anything, but even when they say it, it's all very soft. It's not clear. It doesn't lay it out. It doesn't help to guide people. So we got this elephant in the room. It's just like we've got this modernist problem. We've got a collapse in morality among the clergy. We've got uh, Catholics hardly living their faith. In fact, the statistical difference between Catholics living together before they're married is almost non-different. It's practically not different at all from the general population. Catholics don't seem to be much different than anybody, really. But the elephant in the room is this. We have a problem. You can't admit we have a problem. The people at the top just can't admit that this whole thing has been an unmitigated disaster for 60 years. Now, I'm not trying to criticize specific things. I'm just saying that we have the church is in a bad way, and they just won't bring themselves to admit it. But the other part of the elephant, the trunk, you know, when you feel different parts, you get a different sense of it, is that we have to accept the fact, part of the elephant in the room, is the fact that we have people in high places in the church running parts and aspects of the church who are evil. 
This is something we just simply have to accept. I'm sorry, but when every single thing you do maximizes damage, that is malice. I mentioned that the last time I was here. That's malice. Everything they do is just to cause damage. They, they, they promote the guys that are openly homosexual and things of that sort. They don't do anything about a certain country of bishops who are completely schismatic or heretical in their thinking. And yet, the minute a priest basically wants to get up there and teach authentic Catholic doctrine, they pull the plug on him. That's not, that, you know, that, that's bad, obviously. We knew this was coming, though. The same thing is, is there's all sorts of stuff. I, mean, I could go on for hours talking about all the problems in the church. But obviously you already know. I don't need to go into all of them. But then, of course, we also have the civil authorities. They're getting more draconian as we speak. I tell everybody, we're living in soft communism. It's soft tyranny. The fact that the government officials were shutting down people's ability to speak the truth is exactly what communists do. The fact that people in the government are doing everything they can do to maximize damage to this country is a sign of malice. The fact that it doesn't matter what justification you give, think of this. To give you an idea, Our Lady said, just about the time the whole world will appear to have become communist, God will intervene. We're there. If you think about it, the deep state, which is just another name for communism, managed to shut down, shut down the worldwide economy in two weeks. That tells you how powerful and how much control they have. We're just living in it softly right now, but it's going to get worse. And then, of course, you got the problem of the bishops just rolling over. The minute the civil authorities say anything, the bishops say, okay. You know, you're just like, hello, this isn't even Catholic. When Christ said to the apostles, go and teach all nations... He was essentially telling the apostles that their right to teach the faith to all people superseded any government, any civil authority whatsoever. Technically speaking, the church has always held that the civil authority has no authority over the church, and yet the bishops just capitulate all the time. It's a serious problem. And this is, you know, it's like I said, we've got this elephant in the room. Nobody, nobody's willing to just call it out for what it is. The very fact that we've got transgender stuff going on and the bishops are nowhere to be found giving moral guidance is a serious problem. Bill Clinton, some people actually know this, but Bill Clinton, uh, when he was in office, he wanted to figure out how serious are Catholics about their faith. And so he had a study done, and he was the one who discovered that 98% of Catholic couples either have or are currently using contraception. Of course, they made hay on that. And yet, that's one of those things we just don't talk about contraception, don't talk about abortion, can't be talking about these things. We don't want to hurt people's feelings. Well, people are dying from it, frankly. 
And this is one of the things that we just, uh, the fact that the church is giving very little moral guidance is a serious problem. But it's becoming more draconian, and that's the thing that has me concerned, is the fact that if you're going to stand up at a pulpit and preach the truth unencumbered, eventually you're going to get canceled. That's just the way it is. Now, there's prudent ways of going about it, and there's imprudent ways of going about it. But I think we have to accept the fact that as time goes on, the good clergy are going to be attacked more and more. We're seeing it. All I'm doing is pointing out, hey, there's an elephant in the room. Like, look at the elephant. No, 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 look at the elephant. Yeah, well, the elephant is all the good priests are getting hammered, right? That's the elephant in the room. In fact, one of the real problems among the clergy now, among the good clergy, is the fact that they get no support from the bishops. The minute... The minute someone gives an accusation, it can be the flimsiest and most absurd accusation under the planet, they will throw that priest under the bus at the first opportunity to solve the problem. Not all bishops, of course, but a lot of them. This is something that's going on regularly. But then to top it off, I was talking to one bishop once, and he said 80% of his clergy have been accused of something. And he said, out of that 80%, like 3% is actually accurate. The lay people are just hammering the clergy. This is why I tell people, look it, there's a general moral to this story. If you, you have a gift, and God gives you the gift, and you abuse it, he's going to take it from you and give it to somebody else. This is the entire... New Old Testament shows us that. And we also see it even in the life of the church. And I mentioned five years ago, not knowing it would take the form of COVID, I was just unpacking it logically. I'm not a prophet. I'm just saying, hey, look, the train's going down the track and it's going to hit this other train. That's all I'm telling you. And the train was, if the lay people don't stop receiving communion in the state of mortal sin, God's going to pull the plug and you're not going to get regular access to the sacraments. It happened. I didn't think it would be that quick. I didn't think it would be that. It was just, that's what's going to happen. But I've been telling people, if you don't stop attacking the clergy, if the lay people and the bishops don't stop attacking the clergy, we may end up coming. I'm not trying to predict anything. I'm just saying. We may come to a point where you will not get regular access to a good priest. It could happen. And it could happen in a variety of different ways. Civil authorities could go after the priest. There's all sorts of stuff that they could use against us. But the point I'm trying to draw out is, is that it's becoming more draconian, and it's getting more serious. The spiritual chastisement always precedes the physical chastisement. This means that God's going to spank us spiritually. He's going to pull the plug on our spiritual goods to some degree. In fact, St. John Eudes said that the, the worst chastisement that God can mete out on a people is giving them bad priests. Well, we're there. Except for Father Heilman, of course. <laughs> All right. But the point being is, is that this is one of the things that we're actually we're, that we're seeing is, is that the... the uh, the attack on the priest, is, it's, it's becoming a serious problem. The other thing is, too, is, is that bishops are starting to restrict priests more and more on what they can and cannot do. I'm, I'm sure you saw over, I'm not going to mention the country, but there was a bishop who decided that all diabolic possession, there's no such thing, it was just, uh, just all mental illness. 
This is just grossly ignorant. First of all, it flies in the face of the entire tradition of the church. 23% of the scripture, or the New Testament uh, gospels deal with Christ driving out demons. 23% of it. So I think they're, they're around. Of course, one bishop one time says, well, I believe in the devil, just not in my diocese. It was one of the worst dioceses in the nation. Like, yeah, you probably don't see him because he's all over the place. But you want to say to these bishops, look, I'm sorry, but when you start praying over somebody and they levitate and stick to the ceiling, that's not a psychological problem. <laughs> but the exorcists are the front line of the battle. There's more of them, by the grace of God. A lot of the bishops are actually getting them. And so in that sense, it's actually good. And that actually brings up part of the positive aspect of all this. In the sessions that I've had, and I've also talked to other exorcists, and they seem to kind of confirm the same thing, is that we've reached kind of an apex, and we're kind of just now starting to go down in relationship to the amount of influence the demons are going to have. They've kind of reached their limit. You can kind of see this. They're overplaying their hand by driving civil authorities and even people in the church to say things and to do things that are just completely over the top. Anybody with any semblance of rationality, you know, when they tell you the border is secure and, you know, 200,000 a month are coming across, I, I, I don't know what your definition of secure is. But, or other things, too. I mean, there's all sorts of things. Gaslighting. They just gaslight everybody these days, both in and outside the church. But what we're noticing is, is that the demons know their time is coming. Because they know from watching the history of humanity that God will tolerate human beings descending only to a certain point, And at that point, he said, that's enough. And then he pulls the plug. And then the chastising of human beings is done primarily to correct them. It's somewhat of a punishment, obviously, but it's really ordered towards our correction. And the demons know they're coming to that. How do they know they're coming to it? Because the four sins crying to heaven for vengeance are completely rife. Willful murder, abortion. Plus, you just, uh, if you look at... Um, all the people that are being euthanized now as they get older. Plus, just all the murdering going on. I mean, the amount of killing is just unbelievable. John Paul II was right when he said we're, we're living in a culture of death. So we got willful murder, defrauding the labor of his wage. How is taxing a man more than God wants not defrauding the labor of his wage. Where did the government get the idea that it was entitled to more than 10% of your income? God doesn't even want more than 10%. Where do they think they're better than God? That's absurd. And quite frankly, it's a sign that they're doing too much. They're into too many things. In fact, quite frankly, they should not be taking care of the poor and the widows. That should be the church taking care of them, the wealthy taking care of them. They shouldn't be having all these programs and doing this and doing that and funding this and funding that because every time they do that, they have to take money from someone else to do it. And that's defrauding the labor of his wage. So, willful murder, defrauding the labor of his wage, plus sodomy. Gay marriage. I tell people, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah's got to be squawking. 
you know, they got wiped out, but at least they weren't trying to marry each other. Right? This is just insanity. And then, uh, oppression of the poor. We're seeing this. This is what communism always does. It always causes a, a, a large percentage of the population to become poor. It always wipes out the middle class. And that's where we're headed. But it's all raging. I, I just don't see how it is that God's not going to spank us considering all the sins to cry into heaven for vengeance, and that's not considering all the other sins, are, are in place that he, at some point he's going to spank us. So, the good news is, I always tell people it's going to get worse. All right. What does that mean? If you look at what Our Lady has said, like when she said, just about the time it looks like the whole world will become communist. Well, it did. Or when she says, if the Pope doesn't consecrate Russia, I don't want to get into the discussion about whether Pope Francis did or not, but Our Lady actually said, I'm still trying to track down the authenticity of this quotation, but Our Lady supposedly said in 1929 to Sister Lucia that in the end the Pope would consecrate Russia, but that it would be too late to avert what it was supposed to avert. Think about that. All God and our lady, all God wanted was a five-minute prayer by a single man consecrating Russia to the Immaculate Heart, and we wouldn't be going through any of the stuff we're going through now. It tells you how efficacious prayer is. But the point being is, is that she predicted all these things. You look at Akita, she said, it'll, cardinal will rise up against cardinal and bishop against bishop. We're seeing that. The bishops and cardinals are infighting over those who are upholding the church teaching and those who are basically going the way of all flesh, as they used to say. Which makes me wonder about some of these bishops. But this is not just a problem of today. This has actually been around for a while. You can read St. Peter Damien's The Book of Gomorrah to get a sense of this has been a problem that comes and goes in the church. But that all being said, all these predictions are starting to come true. And so we actually know that if Our Lady and Our Lord have predicted that all these things would happen, but then eventually Russia would be converted and that tells us something see originally Russia was to be the instrument of our blessing if they would have been converted the whole geopolitical situation would have shifted and we would have had an era of peace Russia would have been a blessing to the world but now because we didn't do that Our Lady said she will spread her errors and many nations will fall into ruin we're seeing that happen and so now it's become the instrument of our punishment. Regardless of whether Putin has good, good intentions or not is not germane. It's still going to be used as an as a instrument to punish us. So we know that these, all these things have come true. But then it tells us if all the bad things that have been predicted, if we didn't do this, that this would end up happening, if all those have become true, then that tells us that everything else about those, those uh, prophecies and those apparitions is also true. There will be an era of peace. There will be a revivance of the church in such a manner that it will, its glory will almost be better than any time in history, they say.
We just have to get through the chastisement, get to the other side. What we also know, we can also see that God is starting to provide what we call prevenient graces. These are graces that come before the grace that he plans on giving. He starts preparing things along the way. And what is that that we're actually seeing? Well, inside the church, one of the reasons they're becoming more draconian is because they lost the intellectual argument. The, the modernists that are pushing all this stuff that's contrary to Catholic teaching have lost the intellectual argument. And as a result of that, because they've lost it, the only thing left, because they're in authority, is force. They don't persuade. They just are trying to force their way. We're going to make these things permanent. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. You know, and, and they're very heavy-handed about it. And that's because that's all they have in the end. But that is always the sign of desperation, that they're coming to their end. The next 15 to 20 years, that'll play itself out to some degree, and it's going to be ugly in the church, unless God intervenes beforehand, and it's going to be ugly in the church. But the shift is going to start happening because the younger clergy, many of them are much more solid and orthodox than their older counterparts. You talk to clergy, the priests, and they all say, yeah, it's true. You see it coming. The first time I began to realize that they were going to start getting really draconian was the time I was reading this article by Richard McBrien. I wouldn't recommend it. But he was basically saying the fact that all these guys coming out of the seminaries are more orthodox is not a good thing. Oh, so having right belief is not a good thing. But he said, and he says something needs to be done about it. Well, there it is. Right, there was the, that's, what, that's what happens when your ideas are an abject failure and you haven't been able to persuade any people any longer, and so the only thing you can do is force it. We're seeing that both in the way our government is running things. They're not persuading us, they're just ramming it down our throats. $1.7 trillion? That's a boatload of money. I keep thinking to myself, man, That'd make 1.7 million people millionaires. That's a lot of money. So anyway, okay, so that being said, I don't want to get too much involved in politics. Quite frankly, because it's loathsome. All right. But the point being is, is that the clergy coming now are more solid, and they desire to know the truth. You see this even among the young. They're attracted to Orthodox Catholic liturgy, they're attracted to Orthodox Catholic teaching. They're attracted to it. They don't have the baggage of their counterparts that are, uh, that are 50 or 60 or older. They have no attachments to the last 50 years. They just want to know the truth. You know, I always tell people, you know, one of the signs that we... That this is another one of these parts of the elephant. I think this is the tail part. Is we're living in a time warp. I tell people we're living in a time warp. You know, they keep telling us, you have to get with modern times. Okay, this is 2023, not 1960. The problems that you keep hearing these guys talk about in the church and the way they want the liturgy, they want all these things, it's like they're stuck in a time warp. Their liturgy's from the 60s, their vestments are from the 60s, their churches are from the 60s, their preaching is from the 60s, their music is from the 60s, and you can't get them out of it. They're just stuck there which tells you something that the liturgy has to be perennial 
It has to be eternal in the sense that it can appeal to every generation throughout time, independently of what's going on societally or in the church. That's a key thing. But this, the fact that they were stuck in this time warp is something that they just don't want to deal with. But that generation's getting older and it's dying out. And eventually, the people that are going to rise through the ranks, just because the only people are going to be left, are going to be the Orthodox priests. They'll still be bad ones. There always is going to be bad ones. But this is a sign that things are going to get better. But these priests are going to suffer a lot when they're young priests before you know, anything really good is able to be done by them. As I mentioned, they're just going to be canceled. And I think as time goes on, the, the, the people running the church now are getting more and more concerned at the fact that you know, there's just not this attachment to the same thing that they have, the older people have an attachment to regarding you know, the 60s, etc. What happened in the 60s. I tell people, if you look at the definition of prudence, part of prudence is knowing your circumstances. And in order to know your circumstances, you have to have the virtue of circumspection. And it's one of the first virtues corrupted. Circumspection is the virtue which I keep track of my surroundings. Modern parlance, we call it situational awareness. But it's, it's, it's the, the, the virtue is called circumspection, because I keep track of my circumstances. But St. Thomas says it's the first virtue corrupted, and how we know that. If, when people get angry, they lose all sight of the fact that they're standing in the grocery store line, you know, and they start screaming and yelling at their kid, right? They're not thinking where they're at. That's an example of it. But, you know, when they, when they were trying to tell us in the 1960s that modern man was different from all the predecessors, and so we had to have a new this and a new that and a new this and a new that, I'm like, really? In less than a generation before that, we just saw millions upon millions of people wiped out. Stalin wiped out 20 million people in the Ukraine. Mao wiped out 120 million people. Hitler wiped out millions. And modern man is somehow better and different from his predecessors? I don't think so. This was a, it was an elation. Oh, things are wonderful, things are wonderful. I don't know if it's some type of PTSD from going through the Second World War or what. But it was not, they didn't have a grasp on their circumstances. In 1961, I've mentioned, I keep mentioning this document because I'm trying to get people to pay attention to it. There's a document called Institutio Religiosorum. It was written by the Congregation for Religious in 1961, and it was sent to all the heads of the religious congregations worldwide. There's two essential contents to it. The first is stop ordaining the homosexuals and the pedophiles. This is in 1961. So this business is somehow modern man is different. You, yeah, he needed a lot more. That when they talk about the church needed reform, you're right. The members of the church needed reform. It wasn't that everything else needed reformed. They needed to reform the people in the church. The second part of the, the second part of it was is that they were very strict in saying that people should not be in the seminary or in religious life unless they're leading chaste lives, and if they're falling against the sixth commandment, they're to be shown the door. <clears throat> but this is an indicator that we just didn't have we didn't have clarity at the time but it's starting to become clear 
It isn't the new springtime. If anything, the pedophilia scandal brought out and put an end to that talk. This isn't a new springtime. The church is in survival mode in a certain sense, and it's only getting smaller. The number of Catholics leaving is astounding. And I think if it gets, starts getting ugly on a geopolitical level, you'll see a lot of Catholics defect. But as I mentioned, I want to end this with hope. The hope is the fact that, as I mentioned, the good clergy are coming up, the young people coming up. I'm also seeing, as I mentioned, the demons are starting to talk as if their power, they, they, God is starting to strip them of their power. And that what we're seeing, all the, the spiral down and the moral lives of everybody in our culture is the result of iner moral inertia. That it's just gotten, the demons drove it so hard and so long that it's just continuing down under its own gas, so to speak. Just about the time you think that people have reached the bottom, they come up with some other thing like, wow, how do you even come up with that stuff? But this is a sign, though, that the demons know their time is short and that they're losing their influence. Part of the sign that they're leading, losing their influence is the fact that uh, they're trying, to, first of all, they're starting to lose control over the information blackout. Right? People are starting to discover, hey, there's the truth here and this is what's actually going on. And so they're starting to realize there's information out there that's actually explaining what we're actually seeing and why these things are actually happening and that. And so the demons know that they're starting to lose control over it. It's starting to get out. Occult means hidden. And it's losing its hidden aspect of it. Part of it is, too, is that the Satanists are just out, out there. I mean, they're just out there. They just say, yeah, we're here. We're, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have our, our ritual in the public square. Or you can go watch, uh, I wouldn't recommend it, but you can watch if you want to see that, the, that world leaders don't seem to have a problem with the occult, is watch the dedication of the tunnel in Switzerland. It's a full-blown ritual to Balfamet. Full-blown. And they, you look at the, the world leaders there and they're wa watching it as if they've seen it a hundred times. So I said that to a friend of mine, he says, well, they probably have. <laughs> right? But it's a sign, though, that the fact that it's coming out in the open also means that it can actually be adequately addressed. And this is a sign that when demons have the ability to hide things, they can block people from reflecting on it, they can keep people from putting things out that are supposed to be put out, but that's starting to decay and starting to break down, both in the church and outside the church. We're starting to discover what's really going on slowly. I think we've only seen the tip of the iceberg. I think if we knew the corruption of our leaders, we would be hanging them from the lampposts, as they say. But the point being is, is that this is a good sign because, as I mentioned, the elephant in the room, you can't, you can't get him out of the room until you admit he's in the room, right? And we can't admit, it's like where the church is like a drunk right now. We're not going to get it straightened out until we admit we have a problem and actually address the problem and actually deal with it and do what's necessary based upon what the church has always said it needs to be done in these cases. But that's coming. I think we're seeing more and more. Some of the younger clergy, as I mentioned, are very solid theologically, and they're starting to speak out more, which is a good thing. And as I mentioned, some of the young people, we're also seeing a lot of the young people having large families again, which is beautiful. We're seeing people that just want to lead good Catholic lives and, and get them and their families to heaven. So things are changing slowly. 
I realize that the church is shrinking, but the, what's becoming what's left is going to be more solid, I think. I think Pope Benedict was right in that regard. That, I mean, I'm not particularly pleased that the church authorities just let it happen, but the fact is, is that that's where it's headed. We're going to have a small, cohesive, very strong group of solid Catholics. They'll probably be persecuted, but that's because God desires them to have a place in heaven that's very high. You see, I think most people don't seem to realize is that external strife and dealing with pain and suffering and dealing with all these things is actually a sign of God's predilection. It's a burden to carry the state of the church. It's a burden to watch what's going on in our country and going on in the world. This is a burden. But we can't become over-focused on it. We have to become focused primarily on God. We can't let it detract us from our focus on God. But if we care it meritoriously, then in the end it will be to our higher place in heaven, to our merit. The suffering that the young clergy are going through, some of them, is to their eternal merit. They may not have any kind of recognition in this life. It doesn't matter. This is passing in the next life. That's when everybody's going to be sitting around and admiring those who suffered. And so when the suffering comes, and we have to, if we go through a chastisement, and there's a lot of suffering, we have to have the attitude of this is for my purification, and I'm going to try and do it as best I can for the sake of my sanctification. And if we survive the chastisement, we come out the other end, then God will let us enjoy the glory of the church. It's coming. We know it's going to come. The entire reason that God made man was to have rightly ordered worship. That's why he made him. And so as a result of that, that will be restored. That will come. God is not going to be mocked. God is not going to be denied what he wants. He will let these things happen, but only for the sake of the purification and to make saints out of us. And then, but he will restore it. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy in the process, but we have to have the confidence in knowing it's going to come. In possession cases, there are certain kinds of cases where the cases drag out for years. There's six stages of liberation, and in stage five, there's four parts right before the person's liberated. And the fourth part is you've gotten everything out of the demon you need to get out of him. He's completely subject to the exorcist. He's completely obedient, does whatever he's told. And what there can be a time for a while, it seems like two or three months, that you're like, why isn't God doing anything? We already got what we needed. The person's done what they need to do to get liberated. Why isn't this happening? Why isn't it occurring? And it can seem like God isn't there. We can sometimes get that impression here, but that's not true. He's simply waiting for the right time for the liberation, and the timing is always astounding when it happens. And we have to see that even now, that even though we're going through all these things now, that his timing is perfect, that he will bring about this glory of the church. He will correct these things. Nobody's going to get away with anything. You know, I tell people there are certain people in this life that just never seem to get caught. 
And every, even though everybody knows they did it, they never go to jail. <laughs> and I tell them, I said, well, the reason for that is this. There are certain people that God wants to reserve for the final judgment for a particular punishment. He wants their suffering to show his justice. And so they'll let him get by with this, but their getting by with it now only increases their suffering later. And so it's a matter of his justice. So you don't have to worry about it. All these people doing all these evil things, both in, outside the church, God will extract justice. If they repent, blessed be God's mercy. But if they don't, then we will take glory in his justice. But it doesn't matter. In the end, in the end, all of this that we're going through now and the fact that it continues to get worse, that's why I said the good news is it's going to get worse. Because that tells us that it's getting worse, that the prophecies are being fulfilled, and that also means that the good is coming. And that has to be your focus. Don't take your focus off of God. That's the focus that you have to have. Don't get sucked into the fact that they had 10 votes to put in the Speaker of the House. It doesn't matter. They could have 100, and it doesn't matter. If you keep your focus on God, then in the end, you will have peace and joy despite the tumult that is occurring worldwide. If you'll kneel, I'll give you a blessing. Benedictio Dei Omnipotentis, Patris et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti, Super Vos, et Maniat Semper. Amen.